This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. Where we started three weeks ago was we had Peter by the waters. They just caught 153 fish. That net didn't break. And it was the resurrected Jesus there on the shore cooking fish and about to feed the disciples. And if we know anything about Peter, he did three naughty things. He denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus restores him or gives him, I guess you could say, a bit of a job interview for him about to take the church as the leader of the church to the Israelites. And we know Paul is the leader of the church for the Gentile. And so this is how the job interview goes. Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then he goes on again, do you love me? And he goes on again, do you love me? And by the end of it, Peter is getting frustrated, as you could imagine, because what's going through his mind? I've betrayed him three times. I've let him down three times. And here he is looking at me with those eyes and just saying, do you love me? And that was the challenge to Peter. And we may not be called to run the church to the Israelites. We may not be uh, the Pope. No, I'm joking. I don't believe the Pope's an ongoing offshoot of Peter. But what I'm saying is, Whatever you've been called to, Jesus gives you that same challenge and says, do you love me? And then the very next thing, as soon as Peter said, yes, Jesus said, feed my sheep, get to work. And uh, a bit of the example I was giving is how he hinges the love that we have for him. He says, you love me, serve, which is totally opposite to how we do things in this world. It's like, so do you love me? Okay, what can I get back? I did a lot for you. Like Jesus could have said, I died for you, you owe me. But what does he do? Do you love me? He's not a king that's overbearing and dominating. He doesn't want your effort. He wants your heart. And from there, you go forward and work. So this is going to be a more practical. That's, that's, the, that's the outer edge of what's going on there in the scriptures. But last week, we were challenged By John 15, verse 9, which says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, this is the command. Now, remain in my love. Jeez, we may look at that at a surface surface view and go, that's easy. Remain in your love. Okay, I love you. But when you actually allow those words to really, I guess, rest hard on your shoulders, you understand that there is a world that is against you. There is your flesh that's against you. And Satan himself wants you to disobey this command. Because in this command, we have power as God's people. Remaining in Christ's love. Obedience to this command is easy if you see that his love eclipses the world, because you've got the world, your flesh, and Satan, and you think, okay, compared to these things that are vying for my attention, that are trying to pull me away from an abiding love in Jesus, I actually see that his love is of more value than the things of this world. And then at that point, it is easy to go and enjoy that relationship. But as I say, we're going to get a bit practical today. We're going we're to see how that works itself out in our lives. 
The first warning is this. Love is not something that you strive for. It's something you receive. I would hate it if someone in my family felt that to have my love, they needed to do, do, do. Notice how Jesus started with to Peter, do you love me first? Then he gave the command. We have to be very careful because religion, even those that would claim to be Christian, say, do, 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 and the love comes at the back end, whereas that's, that's sort of flipping the, the horse and the cart around. It's not how we operate as Christians. We must first abide in Jesus, and from that position, I'm going to keep saying this today, and from that position, we move. We walk in love, not walk towards love. It doesn't work that way. That's the way of the world. And I love that you wouldn't accept from your own family if you had a young one coming up to you saying, maybe they'll love me if I get to this level. Maybe they'll love me if I do this or do that. It does not work like that. And just a couple of warnings that hinder this love. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, 3 to 6, Paul describes that as a soldier wouldn't get mixed up in civilian affairs, nor do we get mixed up in the things of this world. And from 1 John 2, verse 15, the love of, if you have the love of the world in you, if you're, if, you're, if you're controlled by your passions and your own desires, the love of the Father is not in you. This is more for those who are self-deceived. They can say the right things. I was, we were reading John Bunyan last night, and there was this character named Talkative, and he had excellent theology. He knew so much about God, and yet it was all about as deep as the skin. It did nothing. It was all words, because the love of the world was still in his heart. He didn't take hold of the love of Christ. Also, there's one last thing I've got to make as a bit of a warning. So I'll give them again. Don't get caught up in the world. Don't love the things of the world and your sin. But also, love is deeper than a feeling. It must be deeper than a feeling. It's got to include sacrifice. If it was only a feeling, none of us would have kids. You know, there'd be that time they, they annoy you to the point, to the brink, where you just say, I'm done with you, out of here. And now some of you would laugh at me like, you can't do that. And because we know, we understand the love between a father, a mother, and a child. And so we don't, we don't just go with this easy love. We're in it for the long haul with God. He did that for us. What, what less could we do for him? How could we treat that love any less? Also... Love in feeling alone tends to have sentiment and not sacrifice. Sentiment and not sacrifice. Now I want to tell you how much sentiment has fed the children of this world. You can feel all day long, but has that ever visited the lonely? Has that ever prayed for the lost or preached the gospel at your own expense? Sentiment is not the love that Christ was calling Peter to, and it's not the love that he's calling you to today. He's calling you to sacrifice. And the last thing and challenge that he gave to Peter was this is how you'll die. 
follow me at that point. Follow me at that point. So let's look at love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. I'll give you a moment to get there. This is one of the greatest examples of love, and we can move practically from this point. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always loves, always hopes, always perseveres. If you're like me, you read that and you just, woof, like that is big. I'd go as far as to say that we are being called here to a supernatural love. I don't see this in the world. I see it in you. I've seen you love like this, but I don't see this naturally from the world. Now, you might look at this and think that it's something to aspire to. Maybe if we were to do a sermon right now and we'll analyze every single element of what I have just read. Love is patient. Love is kind. And we're going to talk about and extrapolate just like a scientist. We're going to dilute every word and every phrase here. And then maybe if you're obedient enough, you'll reach the pinnacle and be the most loving in the church. I'll tell you what churches like that do. They put on masks. It can be fake. We can, know how to, we can know how to act. We can know what to say. We've all done this. But it's a mask. It's not genuine. And what did Jesus want on the shores there with Peter? He wanted genuine love. Not falsified love. Genuine love. It follows from a gracious heart that loves God. See, in this description that we get in 1 Corinthians 13, it understand, we need to understand the essence, not every point. Every point is going to cripple you. Every point you can't do. But when you understand the essence of God's love for you, and in like manner, you want to receive that and pour it forth into a broken and messy and darkened world, that's when these things just flow from you. It's more about resting rather than achieving, if that makes sense. Receive from God and give to others. We could even go a step further. We were praising and worshiping God, weren't we? What are we doing there that's different between receiving and giving to others? It's receiving and giving back up. You know, the Bible says that we have to have a life of thanksgiving. It's very easy to do when you're filled with the love of God. Although, like I said, sometimes we can become trained to do these things. We may start off with zeal, start off with a desire to love, have the passion of God in us and want to serve Him and to our own detriment, do whatever it takes to love Him and love others, which is what we are commanded to. But then it becomes a trained thing that we do. 
It becomes without effort. As disciples, we live safely in habits that keep us in that realm of love. We, we sort of identify with it, but we're not in it, if that makes sense. Oh, the best way I could probably put this is if you've ever worked in a factory and your one job is to just pull the lever and then the thing you know, puts the lid on the can, and that's your job. And after some time, it just becomes a movement. There's no power behind it. There's no reason for it. You just, uh, you're in motion. But I want to challenge you with this. As Christ called you to that life and that type of love, a practiced love or life, this is, this is easy for the seasoned Christians among us. Or has Christ commanded that you bear fruit in season, out of season, that your discipleship doesn't end six months after you gave your life to Jesus, but it continues on and you continue to grow in the fruit bearing that you have been called to. You may know the answer to that. We're to grow into maturity. In light of the cross and with access to the Holy Spirit, must it be this way, robotical? Do we hit a slipstream and coast our way to heaven? Or are we called to continue to grow as disciples and bear much fruit in each season? Again, might we begin to guilt ourselves. So some of you have heard what I've just said and you may think, oh, I'm not there. Oh, Dan, actually, I am far from the love that you're describing, the love that Christ has called me to. I'm a little bit worried that I'm not there. But you've got two choices, abide or strive. One has power. One's going to send you bankrupt Remember John 15, 5, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Where do we start? From Jesus or work towards Jesus? I challenge you with that. Do we start from Jesus or head towards him? My plea to you today would be to start at the foot of the cross on your knees asking God begging God to renew your love for him repent of the sins repent of the love of the world repent of whatever you've done wherever your heart is will God begrudgingly forgive you will he look down on you in your filth and 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 judge you or will he forgive you from the heart? Is his desire mercy or judgment? We know it's mercy. Look, if Peter can deny Jesus three times and Jesus meets him with, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That, that's sure enough hope for us. Whatever we've done, wherever we're at with the Lord. Paul would even challenge us in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, where he says, Also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power of God that dwells in you right now. 
And I heard this from a pastor this week, uh, last week, and I, could, I can't get over it. He said, you know what? The job of a pastor is uncaging zooed animals. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, like, we are a sleeping giant. We have the spirit of the living God in us. And oftentimes we can back ourselves into a cage and shut the door. Whereas what we need to do is get some prods and go, no, get out there. Get wild. Get into that relationship with God, that first love that you so enjoy with God. Get back there. And how are we going to do it? I'll keep saying it. By striving or abiding. We're going to abide in the love that's already there, free to access at the foot of the cross. Does God love you? Look at the cross. Is God for you? Look at the justification you have in his resurrection. That's why we just took communion. That is proof of the love that God already has for you. He sent his son to die for you, did not withhold him for you. What's the least we can do? We can abide in that love and then from that foundation move forward. What might it look like? So let's say you you get to that point, you're like, actually, Lord Jesus, I want that relationship with you again that I had. I want that passion and that zeal and that desire that I had. What might it look like then? What might the next step be? I take this from Ephesians 3, verse 20. And I say, this will just be an implication of what's going to happen in you as you take God at his word, as you abide in the love. And there's going to be an optimism that comes from there. And it'll be now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. These are some Bold claims. Either Paul is making this up or we have access to this in us. And so I feel the first part or the first port when you have placed yourself down at the foot of the cross again, when you see the love of God in the sending of his son to die for your sins, it's an optimism. It's a trust that maybe has been lost in God. You lost trust with God to take up and take hold of the world in some way. But now that begins to become loose and your optimism in what he has done and what he is doing in you begins to swell. Outwardly, what would it look like? That's inwardly, optimism, obsession with God. We've seen some of these young guys, young guys and girls, they get obsessed with each other when they fall in love. Their obsession with God becomes a part of our life. But then, outwardly, what does it look like? I go from Philippians 2, 4, which says, Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. We want to give our life up. If we don't belong to us anymore, if our life is all in Christ, if our life is hidden with Him, all that's left is to serve Him. All that's left is to do for others what He has already done in us. 
And that is shown so much forgiveness, so much love and kindness and grace. And so we can't help but be a beacon, a light to this world as we begin to shine the very love that Christ has deposited in you through the Holy Spirit. What are we called to? To be like Christ. That's the external expression of God's love in your heart as he fills you to the fullness of You might say, give me some examples then, Dan. I want some practical examples. I thought you'd never ask. I thought you'd never ask. I'll just say very, very briefly, just go have a look at Matthew 5 to 7. I'm not, I, can't, I can't read all of that for you. You go to sleep. But Matthew chapter 5 to 7, you want to see what the crucified life looks like? You want to see the challenge that Christ puts before us there? Just go and read it tonight. Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And the last thing he says there is you build your life on my word. The rain comes down, the waters come up, and your house will stand. It's the word that he's just spoken, the law that he's just given. But I'll give you a, a taste of what the crucified life looks like. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, and you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing this? You're telling me, God, to live a life of grace. Someone wants to sue me for something, I'll give them more. Someone wants to hate me, I'm going to do nothing but love them back. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to speak graciously to them. You know how countercultural this is, what I'm saying now? Like, last week we even sort of touched on it. You know, it's my rights, it's my way, it's my will. I want what I want. That's what the world tells you to, to take. And you know what? You'll spend a lot of money with the advertisers because that's what they want from you too. They want passion. They don't want true relationship. Passion gets the money out of you. You just make a quick decision. What has God called us to? He's called us to that crucified life, that life that is beholden to Jesus. And so as you go through the Beatitudes, you just watch yourself be crushed. Watch your flesh shrivel up in front of you. It's not nice. And it's impossible if you have the love of the world in you. As James said in James 2.18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? We can talk all day long about what we have, about who we are in Christ. But he's saying practically, I'll show you my faith without my words. I'll show you my faith by the way that I conduct my life, by the way that I love others, by the way that I serve others, because that is the life that Christ lived, and that is the life we have been called to in Christ. Show me the proof, not your words. 
Jesus didn't ask for Peter's effort first. He wanted Peter to love him. Then came the effort, feed my sheep. It was the same for Paul, John, James, and you here today. Surrender your life to Jesus. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. The slave has no rights but to what his master determines. And if we're a slave to this world and a slave to Satan, we cannot please God. But if we're a slave to Christ, if he is our master, our king, and our Lord, then we will say, as in Philippians 2, 3, in humility, we will value others more than ourselves. And so I just want to end on this today. Take on the persona of Christ. Show the love that he's had for you by being like him. Show people grace. Show people undeserved kindness. Grant had a great comment this week. If you come here for a little bit, you know Grant. He said, what would Jesus do? That's a pretty easy way to live your life. What would Jesus do? Amidst your family, friends, finance, those you witness to in your spare moments, what would Jesus do? In your commitment to God, what would Jesus do? But again, if guilt and apathy start riling up in you and you feel I'm not reaching these things, I'm actually struggling in these areas, stop. Go back to the cross. Go back to your first love. And then it will flow from there, naturally. You'll get the persona of love. With all that said, if you've come here today and you are not a Christian, you don't understand a word of what I said, you're like, I do not understand what this love is. This love is called the new birth. We're born of spirit. And I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. See, the only, the only time we would, we would fear God is if there's penalty, if there's punishment. But we are assured in Scripture that those who love God, who have come to Jesus, that casts out all fear. There's no fear in love. And so today, if you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, I invite you as an ambassador of Christ to believe upon his name. He'll give you everything I've spoken about today. So I just ask, repent of the past life. You're living without him, say sorry, and come and place your faith in him today and you'll be warmly received let's pray heavenly father i thank you so much that lord you have shown for us a life that is beautiful lord we are to love one another as you have loved us we are to remain abiding in you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to do that today. That, Lord, we could have a renewal of our hearts and our minds, not in great effort and falsified love, but that, Lord, we would come to that place where your spirit fills us to go out 
and take the initiative from there. Bless us as we go about our week, Lord. And we do pray for those families again who are struggling with loss. In Jesus' name, amen.